nothing between you and your Savior so that the blessing of God can flow through you. Take your Bibles tonight as we've been studying through um, this idea of uh, Satan and Satan's work, and we've been looking at the idea how that uh, this morning we saw that how Satan blinds the minds of the lost, and we were talking about that. That's where we were last or this morning. We looked at one of those, one of the ways that Satan blinds the minds of the lost is you're trying to talk to people uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ and trying to encourage them uh, in the things of God that uh, Satan blinds their minds. You say, well, pastor, it's just so clear to me. Why can't people see about the gospel? Why can't they understand the principles of God's word? Well, Satan blinds their minds. And uh, so we saw today he, one of the ways that Satan blinds the minds by encouraging them to look to another God rather than the true and the living God. Satan doesn't care what other God you look to just as long as you don't look to God. You can look to any of the gods of the people around you, uh, the, the gods of the, you know, the Greek gods. You can look at all of those, and some people get pretty enamored with all of that type of stuff, and they get uh, enamored with uh, thinking about um, Zeus and all that. Uh, but folks, may I share with you, Satan doesn't care if you don't look at any god, any other god. He doesn't care as long as you just don't look to God. Uh, when you look to God... And he, Jesus comes into your heart and life, it changes who you are. And that's where your power as a Christian, that's where our power is. And you say, well, pastor, why doesn't Satan mind that you look, if you look to any other God? Because all the other gods, the, the direction comes from him anyway. So if you look to any other God other than the true and living God, uh, you're, you're tying into Satan's, uh, Satan's pattern, Satan's control. And that's what we were looking at this morning, how important that is. So another way that Satan blinds the minds of people, uh, and so they, the, the people that are lost we're talking about here, uh, we find in Isaiah chapter 59. Let's go over there. Isaiah 59. Satan blinds the minds. Here's another strategy of the devil. Uh, he, he blinds the lost, their minds, by encouraging them to follow the pleasures of life. Uh, that's one of the ways that Satan blinds the minds of the lost by encouraging them to follow the pleasures of life. Isaiah chapter 59, beginning with verse number 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any uh, pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity, and speak lies. They conceive mischief, and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs, and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper." Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths, Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. 
Therefore is judgment far from us, neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold, obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like, a, like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the, in the night. We are in the desolate places as dead men. We roar, or we roar all like bears, and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far off from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testified against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just come before you this, this evening, and Lord, we need you to help us to understand and to consider the, uh, the principles that we have before us. Lord, I pray that as we live in these days, we look into your word, we can see how our world, our nation is going. Father, it is following the same path that Israel did in their days. Lord, turning away from you, turning after pleasure, turning after the things that, that please our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would cause us, Lord, to understand the principles of thy word tonight. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in chapter 59, we find that the nation of Israel had uh, basically, the Bible says in verse 1 and 2, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. They were walking in their, their pleasure. They had gone and started worshiping false gods, they had gone into the pleasure of the world. They were living and following the things of the world. And as they do, as you follow the things of the world, the pleasures of the world, you say, well, Pastor, you know, I just need pleasure. I just want pleasure. We, we, we want to work four days and we want three days off. Well, I understand that. You know, four tens and, you're, and you have some time off. But what we, what we are moving toward is more that people want to have more and more time off and work, work less and less. Look what we have in America right now. People don't want to work. People want just to have pleasure. I want to have pleasure, do my own thing. I want to be able to go where I want to go. May I share with you that as we have this mindset, and then this is exactly the attitude. As you look through and read through this, it's like it's a, the newspaper of today. Uh, it is exactly the same direction. Someone has said, if we don't learn from history, we are bound to repeat it. And exactly, this is exactly what is, was happening in the nation of Israel at the time. And Isaiah is just speaking God's truth to them. They were going a direction away from God. They were so busy living life, they had no time for spiritual things. And the spiritual things that they were doing is they were adopting the world's mindset, the world's thinking into their life. You know, uh, Satan loves to do that, doesn't he? He loves to keep us so busy. Uh, someone has said it's like if Satan wants to keep the pedal to the metal. He wants to keep you so busy that you have no time for God. Go with me to another portion of Scripture, New Testament, though. We want to go to, to 2 Timothy for a second. Because in the last days, in the days before Jesus Christ comes, and we find this here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he talks about some... Uh, the, What's going to be the attitude? What's going to be the thinking of the people in the, in the last days? 
In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 1, it says this, Know also that in the last days, the last days before Christ's return, perilous, that word perilous means hard, difficult times shall come. Are we having some hard, difficult times? Well, we were, I think we're there. He says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. That's that idea, as I mentioned this morning, unsociable. They don't want to be around family. They're just kind of breaking apart. Our families are falling apart in America. People say, oh, pastor, you know what? The one thing that COVID did, it brought people together. And I'm telling you what, you start looking at what happened. It brought people together. They were fighting all over the place. But they're unsociable, and they're, they're, they want to do their own thing. They want to be separate. Well, that's exactly what God says is going to happen in these last days before Jesus comes. Truce breakers. Oh, pastor, we're, gonna, we're going to go, and, and we're going to make a covenant with Russia. And Russia, don't you come past this line. Now, they've made, they've made those things before in the Ukraine. Can I tell you something? They're gonna, they'll come across that line. I, I, you can see it. The handwriting's on the wall. Uh, they, they just, the covenants don't mean anything. Well, they're not going to mean anything in these last days. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, uh, without control. That's what that idea of incontinent is all about. Um, it's not that you have to go to the restroom all the time. That's not what he's talking about. You're it's incontinent. People are out of control. There's no control. There's no restraint. People are doing whatever they want to do, and there's nobody stopping them. We've seen that this past year, in the, or the past years now, with what's been going on in Portland and, and Seattle and these different places, and nobody is saying no, is, they're just saying, well, go ahead. I was reading, uh, listening to the news, and they were talking about even the trains, how people are robbing the trains now, and they're saying, well, you know what, we need to do something about these train robberies, because we're trying to ship stuff, but people are ripping them off and, and stealing out of them. And uh, California just passed 13 more laws to, to say, well, you know, things that used to be felonies are now misdemeanors. So it just encourages that all the more. The Bible says that's what's going to be the attitude of the, of the last days. Uh, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady. They're all about, you know, I'm gonna, I've got my mind. I've got, you know, you've heard, just give them their head. You don't want to talk about a horse. Just give them their head. Let them go. Let them run. Well, can I tell you something? That's how some people are. They're heady, high-minded. Notice, lovers of pleasures more than what? Lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. See, people are going to, in these last days, people are going to love the things that are pleasurable, pleasureful rather than the lovers of God. You know, that's the reason why many churches, they have a lot of pleasure things. And then they'll have a little bit of time for the things of God. And people will say, well, you know what? That's too much time. Uh, as I shared this morning, we were talking in, in Sunday school about evangelists and having evangelists come in. And, and evangelists, what they do is they talk about winning souls and, and getting people fired up and excited about living for Jesus and, and the old time preaching. That's what evangelists uh, used to do and even do still uh, still do today but churches are saying you know what we don't need that type of stuff anymore we don't like that people don't attend so we're going to give them pleasure we want to give them their lattes as they come in the door and we want to be able to give them big screen tv so they can watch a super bowl sunday and folks may i just stop right here and tell you something i know super bowl's coming around the around the bend can i tell you something there'll be a test for you 
lover of pleasure more than lovers of God. And people will stay home from church to watch Super Bowl. Let me ask you, who won the Super Bowl five years ago? You remember? Brother Jeff's got it right, right there. Yeah, he knows who it was. I have no idea, nor do I care. You say, well, Pastor, that's really important, Super Bowl. No, it's not. It's not. Well, I cheer on my team. Well, that's wonderful. But can I tell you something? There ought to be a team you ought to cheer on more, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And living for Jesus, that's what it's all about. If we're saved, if we know Christ is our Savior, we ought to be rejoicing in the things of God and our focus on, on things above. The pleasures of sin are only for a season. Look with me to Hebrews, just to the right from where you are. Hebrews chapter 11. Moses understood this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses. Now, Moses had been in Egypt. He'd been trained for 40 years. He'd been trained in the finest schools, been given all the opportunities. Uh, he, had, he, he had that pedigree. He had, as far as the world was concerned, he knew what that was about, but he was still a Jewish boy. He had been taught by his parents the things of God. He was in a pagan land, and all the pagan uh, gods and the idols that they had. Verse 34, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. May I share with you that people, when they go down to Las Vegas and they go to, uh, to Reno and they go to different places like that, they go to the casinos, you got the glit and the glamour. It looks wonderful. It looks fantastic. It looks like it's fun and exciting. Well, that's how the devil draws people in. But the pleasures of sin are only for a season. They're not going to last forever. And many people have lost their, their homes, as I've said, lost their families uh, because they got into a gambling habit. Um, folks, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. The pleasures of sin are only for a season. Look with me to, to Luke chapter number 12 as Jesus uh, talks about, gives a parable here about a man, a rich man. Luke chapter number 12 and verse 15. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. A man had come to Jesus and they, they, uh, they wanted him um, they wanted him to divide, uh, the, uh, divide their, their substance. And uh, in chapter 12, in verse number 15, and uh, it was an inheritance, and, and they were, let's just go back so you catch the context. Verse 13, and one of the company said unto him, unto Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he may divide the inheritance with me. These people were fighting over inheritance. And so, as they're fighting over inheritance, and he said unto them, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then he goes, verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Your life does not, does not consist in how much you've got or don't have. That's not what life's all about. Our life is hid in, in Christ. Lay up uh, treasures in heaven. And not on the earth, Jesus said. But you say, well, pastor, you know, Christians, we, we lay treasures, we lay, you know, well, you've got to prepare for the rainy day. I understand that. But, but you know what? Where is God in your picture of that? 
God is able to take care of the birds every day. He takes care of the lilies, what, every day. And our God knows what we need, even before we ask. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, and he's been talking about, you know, your food and your, uh, your clothing and those type of things. God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. He's promised to. And so in this portion, he says, and he spake unto them a parable, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns, build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. It's more important for you to be rich toward God than that you be rich in these, uh, these goods in the world. Folks, may I share with you that the pleasures of sin are only for a season. But Satan can get you so focused and so locked into that that guess what? It will blind the minds of people so that they don't have time to think of the Lord Jesus Christ or listen to spiritual things. People say, well, I'm just so busy. I'm so busy. I'm trying to earn a living. I'm trying to, you know, get things so I have a more comfortable life. You know, I've found when you get to this level, you're always going to want that level. And when you get to that level, you're going to want that level. And if you'll listen to the devil long enough, he'll get you all the way to the grave and he'll say, you don't have time. It's too late. You've used up all your life. And you know, you'll breathe your last breath and it's all over. Hey, it's not about the things that you have. It's not about the pleasure you have. But Satan, how he blinds the minds, he encourages people to follow the pleasures of sin. He, pleasures of this life. Here's a third way that Satan blinds minds. And that's by telling them that the things of God are foolishness. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Satan tells people that the things of God are foolishness. What we're doing tonight, there are people that would look at what we're doing and meeting in God's house and, and studying his word and learning about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he says. People say, oh, you know what? I got better things to do than that. That's just so ridiculous. That's outdated. That's antiquated. When I was a youth pastor, young people would say, oh, you know, pastor, when you start teaching about those things, those things are old-fashioned. Boy, I praise God for the old-fashioned. There's a song, uh, my religion's not old-fashioned, it's real genuine. And two plus two make four today as it did in my Lord's time. Amen? Uh, modern days don't make a difference. You can't alter truth or time. My religion's not old-fashioned, it's real genuine. Hey, folks, can I tell you something? This book, the truth of God's word, living for Jesus hasn't changed. It's important today, just as it has in the past. And folks, I pray that you would get that in your mind. But in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Bible says, the, but the natural man, that word natural is the idea of the, the, the lost person, the person who lives by his natural senses. Uh, he does, it's not a spiritual person. He's a natural person. He's living according to his flesh. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. 
You say, well, why don't they receive the things of the Spirit of God? For, here's that purpose, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You say, well, Pastor, I can read the Bible and I understand the principles of God's Word. And as I understand the principles of God's Word, it makes clear sense what I should do and how I should live. But some people, when you share the Word of God with them, it's kind of like, huh? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. One of the young men that I had led to, led to Christ, he was a Mormon young man, and uh, he was, he was a, uh, a, one who was an elder in, in the Mormon church. And he was telling, he would be teaching the Mormon young people uh, what to believe and you know, what, the, what they taught in, in, the, in that direction. And uh, one of the ladies in our church used to be his, his uh, hairdresser and hair barber, and, and she would go and she would uh, talk to him. And, you know, when they get you in the chair and they start cutting around your head, I mean, you kind of don't want to, you know, object too much. You never know. You might come out with a mohawk or, you know, buzzed off or, you know, big chunk out of there. So she kind of had him, you know, in a good location. She would talk to him about the Lord. And uh, he had some questions as he was, she was talking with him, had some questions and she couldn't answer him. But she says, you know what? I think my pastor can. And so she came to me one day. She said, uh, he has some questions. Would you be willing to talk to him? I said, absolutely. And so he came in and we started looking at God's word. And he says, I got some questions. And he said, um, you know, I've been taught that we are going to become a God. And what does the Bible say? Is it, you, know, I, I just, you know, I'm just kind of confused. I said, well, let's start looking at the scriptures. And so we went into Isaiah as we were there just a few minutes ago. And in Isaiah, chapter 43 through 45, says it over and over, God. There's only one God. God says he's looking beside him. And beside me, there is no God. Uh, you know, uh, there's not going to be any God. There was no God before me. There's no God after me. There's only one God. I said, so what do you think that this means? He says, there's only one God. I said, well, that's pretty good. And so uh, I took him to verses in the New Testament where Jesus claimed to be God. I said, what does that verse mean? But Jesus, you know, uh, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. He said, well, you know what, what we're taught is that, we're, that they are the same mind. I said, I know that's what you're taught. But keep on reading, and it talks about the Jews. The Jews are getting stones up to stone him. I said, why were they getting ready to stone him? If you read the context, because Jesus, who was a man, was claiming to be God. Jesus was claiming to be God. And then I took him to 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. There's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. I know that's not in some of these new trans, uh, translations or translutions, or new visions uh, that I think some people have been looking at drinking some sweet tea or something like that that's not sweet tea. It's got some other stuff in there. They come up with some new, uh, new versions, and they take that out. They don't want that in there. The devil doesn't want that in there. There's only one God, and Jesus is God. Amen. He was the Son of God, yes, but there's three that bear a record in heaven, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. I said, so how many gods are there? He says, there's only one. Then we've got that settled. Now we can deal with salvation. And we went through the plan of salvation. The Gospels we talked about this morning several times. 
that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And I said, you're a sinner just like I am. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You, we all are sinners. There's a price for our sin that has to be paid. Jesus paid it. And if we will receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can be born again. We can be born into God's family. And our sins can be separated from us as far as the east is from the west. He was excited. He said, I said, would you like to ask Jesus to be your Savior? Yes. And so he prayed and asked Jesus to be his Savior right then. Amazing. That was exciting. And as we were talking, he said, uh, on Wednesday night, I was setting up like we did tonight. We were setting up, and I was working on some things. He says, Pastor Walker, I've got a question for you. I said, sure. He says, I've got a portion of Scripture that I've been reading and reading and reading, and it makes no sense to me. Well, you know, when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes to live inside you. It's a Spirit of God who illuminates us to be able to understand His Word. This is God's love letter to His children. And when he got saved, the Spirit of God came to live inside him. I said, so read to me this portion of Scripture that you've been having such difficulty with. And so he read the portion of Scripture. And this, he'd had a trouble, he had trouble with this portion of Scripture before he got saved. He says, I think I've got an idea of what it means now. I didn't before. And he read to me the portion of Scripture. And I said, so what do you think it means? And he, he said, well, this, and he told me what he thought it meant. I said, it's exactly what it meant. He says, it's like the light came on. Amen. I said, ah, see, the natural man, the lost man, receiveth not the things of the spiritual, uh, spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. One of the reasons why people do not understand the scriptures, because they're not saved. You're coming to the book. This is a spiritual book. Jesus said, these words are spirit and they are life. They come from the very spirit of God to men. Uh, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They wrote these words. They're God's words. And as, as, you, uh, as you're reading this, if you don't have the spirit of God inside you to help you, you're going to have difficulty understanding the word of God because it's going to be foolishness. But when the spirit of God comes inside, all of a sudden the lights come on. And the Spirit of God helps you to understand. And the more that you study the Word of God, the more as you pray, Holy Spirit, or pray to God, God the Father, please have your Spirit to help me to understand your Word. And His Spirit will help you to understand His Word, and you'll, it'll make clarity in your mind. But Satan tells us, you know what, the things of God are foolishness. Let me give you an example. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26 is giving a defense. He's before King Agrippa and Festus, who is the governor. And uh, he's uh, been in jail. And they ask him to come and to give, give, his, um, give his testimony or his, uh, just tell why he's there. And so as the Apostle Paul begins to talk to them, and he talks about uh, how he was before he was saved. And it, by the way, if you're looking for your testimony, you share with people how you were before you were saved. Then you talk about how you got saved and then your life after you got saved. You know, I was lost and, and, uh, and I, you know, on my way to hell. And then 
I heard the gospel, I heard about Jesus Christ, and whether you're at home or at church or wherever you may be, and you heard about the gospel, and you heard, and, and, and the Spirit of God says, you know, that's what you need to do, you need to receive, and you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and then you share with them what difference Jesus has made in your life since you've been saved. You say, well, Pastor, not much difference has been in my life since I've been saved. Well, that's, that, there's some warning flags there. You say, why is that? Well, Pastor, don't you understand me? You know, when I got saved, there was not much that the Lord had to change in my life. I was basically a good person. Can I tell you something? The Bible says that you were evil. You were corrupt, just like I was. We were not walking in the right way. We were walking contrary to things of, of God. God says the old man was corrupt. And when we got saved, the Spirit of God came to live inside us. God gave us a new mind, new emotions, and new will. We have the mind of Christ. And so, as we have the mind of Christ now, we need to exercise the mind of Christ in making decisions in our life and for our life. And so here, as Paul is speaking in Acts, chapter number uh, 26, as we're looking here in this portion, look at verse number 21. Acts uh, chapter 26, verse number 21. Now, he's talking to them about the gospel. He's talking to them about getting saved. And he says in verse 21, And for these causes the Jews caught me, in the temple, and they went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto this day, witnessing both to the small and to the great, saying none other things than those which uh, the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should uh, be first that, uh, that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus, this is Governor Festus, said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. You're, you're like a crazy person, Paul. You're talking about Jesus Christ dying and rising, raising from the dead. You've studied too much. You're, you're like a crazy person. But he said, Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely, for I am not... For, uh, for I am persuaded that none of these things were, are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner, talking about Jesus Christ dying, burying, and, and rising from the dead. He says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. Folks, can I tell you something? Almost is not good enough. Almost. We sing a song, Almost Persuaded. That's the title of the song, Almost Persuaded, Now to Believe. Almost uh, uh, shall not prevail. Folks may share with you, almost is but to fail. Folks, you can know about Jesus. You say, you know what? One day I should ask Jesus to be my Savior. Almost, I'm persuaded. It's not good enough to get you to heaven. God has given you this time to respond to the gospel. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except, uh, except these bonds. In other words, he was praying that they would be all Christians. They'd have received Jesus Christ. He said, I don't want you to be almost persuaded. You need to have Jesus as your Savior right now. The devil encourages people by telling them, you know what, the things of God are foolishness. You're mad, Paul. 
And people will call you, if you, you're living for Jesus and sharing the gospel, they're going to call you mad. They're going to call you out of your mind. And Paul said, he says, you know what? He said, they call us fools for Christ's sake. Why? Because we hold to the principles of God's word and God's truth. We hold to those principles about teaching and, and rearing our children. People say, well, you know what? Uh, that idea of training up a child in the way that he should go when he's old, he should not uh, depart from it. You say, well, that, people say today, well, you know what? That sounds good, but you know what? Children need their individuality. You shouldn't have a, a really an authority. You, you should, the thinking of mankind is this today, and you hear it. Well, you know what? You can't tell a child whether he's a boy or a girl. You've got to let him figure it out as he's going through. What? Tell, I'm telling you, the world, as we said, is controlled by Satan. Parents are to teach and to train their children. That's the way that God designed it. That's what we're supposed to do. And the world looks at us and says, you know what? You are crazy. Well, that's okay. Can I tell you, I'd rather be a fool for Christ's sake. Teaching them the things that are right and that are true according to God's word. Because one day, we're going to be with Jesus. And that's going to be a wonderful day. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to that. But the devil tells people, you know what? The things of God are foolishness. Don't go that way. Uh, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. I hope that you and I, that we look at the things of God, and they're not foolish, but they're precious to us. And I pray that we live by them. Here's something else that Satan does in blinding the, the minds of the fourth thing, by telling them that they're all right and don't need the Savior. Oh, you're all right. Look at 1 John for a moment, 1 John chapter 1, verse 18. Satan says, you know what? You're all right. You don't, need, you don't need a Savior. You don't need Jesus. You're okay. I said 1 John 1, 18. 1 John 1, 8. I'm having that problem again, Brother Scott. I'm reading those different numbers up there again. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Oh, pastor, I'm okay. I don't need, I don't need to be saved. I, I'm okay. I'm a, basically a good person. God says, Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul was in Rome waiting to go before Nero. And Paul called in the chief of the Jews and thought, well, you know what? This is a great opportunity to give them the gospel. Go back to Acts once again. Acts chapter 28 and verse 24. And notice, as Paul has called these people in, and uh, Paul, is, uh, Paul is there in Rome. Like I said, he had appealed to Caesar to, to appeal his, his, uh, his case before Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. In Acts chapter 28 and verse number 24, notice as Paul is uh, talking to these these uh, the religious Jews that were there in Rome. And it says, and some believed. They believed about the gospel that he was talking about. And some believed the things which were spoken. And some believed not. Some believed. Their hearts were open. They received what, what was told them. But others, the Bible says, others did what? Others did not. Notice verse number 25. Paul speaking about that. And when they agreed not among themselves, talking about the, the Jewish leaders, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word, 
Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, the Jewish people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not, what? Understand. And seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Interesting, as we look at this, these people who were religious, I mean, they, they knew chapters and verses of different things. They had studied the scriptures. But you know, you could study this book without having the Spirit of God inside and not understand what the book is about. It's unlocked when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. But notice three key things, and with this we're going to close tonight. We see it in verse 27. Notice what it says. For the heart of this people is waxed gross. You know, kids talk about that. They say, ooh, that's gross. You say, what are they talking about? Is that, what that, is that what they're talking about? Well, you know, it's slimy or it's geeky or it's, you know. Uh, when I was working with the youth, with the youth group at, and uh, would do youth activities and stuff, we'd have this long plastic tube and uh, you'd, put, you'd put egg in the, in the tube and, you know, egg, it's a raw egg, not a regular one, a raw egg, and it kind of float to the middle of this big, long tube, and you'd have two kids, uh, one on each end and one on the other, or one on each end, and, and each one on both ends, you'd say, one, two, three, go. And they would try to blow as hard as you possibly can because you don't want that egg to go up where you are. And so you're blowing and blowing and blowing and blowing, and then pretty soon, you know, your, your cheeks get so tired that pretty soon, you know, um, boom, you know, you, you, just, you can't blow anymore, and then that, that old slimy thing goes up, yeah, and gets you right in the face. That, that's gross. Or we would do Hail King Bobo. Some of you have never done that. I shouldn't tell you this because some of you would, you know, young people, it's always great for young people. We'd come in and we'd say, Hail King Bobo. We'd have the, all the kids out there and we'd say, you know, we're going we're gonna, to, uh, tonight we're going to honor King Bobo. And the kids are like, Hail King Bobo, what's this all about? We'd get three kids and we'd have them go out. And, uh, you know, you'd have them go out in the side room and so forth and we'd say, folks, we've got King Bobo with us here tonight. And as you'll notice, we've got, he has a ring on his hand. And we'd have this ring on his hand. And... Uh, you know, we're going to have these people come in and show obeisance to, you know, bow down before King Bobo and uh, have him kiss the ring. And so what they would do is uh, King Bobo had a ring on his toe. And he would be, have, you know, have his leg crossed in this old, you know, nasty-looking toe. And he'd be sitting there with his ring. And the person would come in and all the kids would say, but the person really kissed the ring on this guy's hand. And so what they do is they say, Hail, King Bobo, Hail, King. And the people, you know, they're blindfolded. They can't see what's going on. And Hail, King Bobo. And, you know, King Bobo wants, to, wants you to, to show obeisance and show that you're honoring him. You've got to get down on your knees. And so they get down on their knees. And now the important part is that you've got to kiss the ring of King Bobo. And, and so what he would do is he'd put his hand down there where they were, and they'd kiss that ring. And then he'd go back and he'd sit back in his chair and he'd have this, ring on his toe, and then they would unblindfold them. And they'd go, ew, that's gross. 
Well, everybody else knew what was going on, but they didn't. That was gross. Well, this is not the same type of gross, okay? It's not the same type of word. That word gross there, it means to make thick. To make, to be callous. To be callous. When I was learning to play the guitar, I had to, they, they said you had to develop calluses on your fingers. And if you've ever played guitar, people say, oh, you can play guitar in seven easy lessons. Well, I'm going to just tell you something. You might be able to play some notes and you might be able to strum a chord, but you're not going to play the guitar in seven easy lessons. It takes work. And so I said, well, I think I can do this. And I put, put my fingers on the chords, how they had the chords, and I pressed down, and it would cut against the, the it would cut, feel like it was cutting the skin. And it hurt at first. But the more I did it, the more, and I don't have any calluses on, I haven't played in quite a while. Uh, so, but when you, when you, after a while, you wouldn't feel it anymore because the skin had built up in that area and it become callous and you couldn't feel it. You could play for hours, it wouldn't bother you. You know, the idea here, the more times we hear the gospel and refuse to yield to the tug of the Holy Spirit, the more callous our heart becomes. We become hardened to it. We don't need it. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen, 19, Ezekiel speaks of having a stony heart. Your heart can actually become like a stone. You become so calloused when you hear and you will not respond. That you And Christians' hearts can become callous. You can hear what God says to do, and you say, you know what, I'm not going to do what God says. The Bible talks about in 1 Timothy, chapter 4, it talks about the fact that your heart becomes callous, becomes hardened. The more times we need, uh, the more times we hear and do not obey, that's what happens. Let me ask you today, has your heart become, has your heart waxed gross? Is it cold and callous toward Jesus? I pray that it doesn't become that way. I'm here today to tell you, though, something. Jesus can make it fresh and anew. He can take away that stony heart and give you that soft, pliable heart once again. The Lord Jesus Christ can do that. These people, they, though they had calloused, waxed, gross, their, their, their heart was waxed, gross. It was calloused. Their ears were dull of hearing. That word dull is heavily uh, with difficulty. The root there is burdensome or weighty. You know, they find the truth. These, these people would find the truth to be hard to accept, so they would just turn off their hearing. I was giving Brother Fred a bad time today because he was talking about having the hearing aids, and he told me, he said, you know what, I, I, there are times when I don't want to hear somebody, so I just turn the hearing aid off. You know, husbands sometimes do that, ladies, don't they? You know, you're talking to them, and you're talking to them, and, it, and they're smiling. They're looking at you. They're smiling like this. You can tell the lights are on, but there's no one home. There's no one responding. Their mind is someplace else. They've tuned you out. You start saying, well, honey, we should do this, and, you know, we should decorate this, and we should move the furniture, and we should do this, and we should do this. And, uh, yeah, right, okay, good. Yeah. And you're, you turn, you just tuned it out, and they say, Hey, 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 listen, listen, you know, it's kind of like what you have to do with your children. Hey, look right here, right here, right here. Okay. Well, that's what happened with these people. Their ears were dull of hearing. But notice something else, and I think this is so significant. Notice, and their eyes have they closed. 
Their eyes have they closed. They did it. But may I share with you, the one who helps you to do that is Satan. He blinds the minds of people. They close their eyes. Satan doesn't want people to see the light. He doesn't want them to see the truth. If they have closed their eyes to the truth, they are in darkness, and Satan wants people to stay in the darkness. Jesus, on the other hand, wants people to have their eyes opened and to be able to walk in the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I, uh, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. These men to whom Jesus is talking were religious, but they were lost. Folks, these, these folk were religious, but they had lost, but they were lost. And, you know, can I tell you some of the hardest people to win are religious people? Why are religious people hard? Because they, they have told themselves that there's no need to change. I'm okay. And until a person is willing to humble himself as a little child and admit that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, they will not come to Jesus to save them. Have you convinced yourself that you're good enough to go to heaven just as you are? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all, of, uh, for all of sin, or excuse me, 623, Romans 623, for all of sin, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ezekiel 18, 4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Hebrews 9, 27, as it's appointed to men once to die, and after this, the judgment. You can't go to heaven the way you are. You have to have a new nature. And praise God, Jesus Christ came to give us a new nature. A new beginning. How wonderful that is that we can have a new beginning in Jesus Christ if we will just come to him and receive him as our Savior. I pray tonight that, that Satan would open your eyes if you're not saved, that you would not be blinded to the truth, but that you would receive the truth and ask Christ to come into your heart and save you right now. Let's pray. Dear Fe Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your precious word. We know that Satan is alive and well. He's working overtime to cause people to be blind to the truth. Lord, I pray that you would open hearts. May people understand the truth tonight. May you help them tonight to receive Christ as their Savior. Father, I pray for Christians that their hearts would not be calloused. Lord, hearing the same truth over and over again and become callous to it. And though they've heard it, they just are not going to do it. Father, I pray that you would just rip off the calluses and get their hearts tender once again to you. And may your precious word be sweet once again. May you give us a heart of flesh that's tender to the voice of thee. Father, I thank you tonight. We give you all the praise, the honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Brother Scott's going to come and lead us tonight. And if you uh, are not sure you're saved tonight, may I encourage you to come and to ask Jesus to be your Savior. Tonight, he wants to save you. In fact, he wants to save you and wanted, has wanted to save you for some time. 
Won't you ask him to be your savior tonight? Maybe tonight you just need to come and pray. Your heart's been cold, been callous to God. Folks, can I tell you something? We just need to ask the Lord to rip off that callous so that we can once again look at the word of God being so tender and so sweet to us that when we hear him speak, that we will obey and in a soft attitude toward him. Brother Scott, come and lead us in a song of him.